What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. from the Baseball America podcast nook. Controls your throwing strikes. The command is you're hitting the spot. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is stupid. This is, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. If he was in the home run derby, I'd put him out of a decent chance of winning it against the big leaders. Surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. Here we go in three, two, one. Play ball. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Clint Longnecker, I'm John Manuel. We want to thank Connor Glassy for the intro to our podcast. And good, great news here in the Baseball America offices as Connor, obviously former employee of BA, went back home to Pacific Northwest and a year later has uh, uh, taken a job as an area scout with the Cleveland Indians. I know you saw him out at Area Codes, Clint. Uh, we're just, we, we couldn't be happier for Connor, a guy who I know you worked with as an intern here. I got to work with him for five years I think we both think pretty highly of Connor, besides his podcast intro editing skills. But uh, just take a minute, just to, if you if you just even just to throw Connor some congratulations. But pretty pretty awesome news for Connor. Yeah, congrats, Connor. It was really neat to to be able to see him out at the Area Code Games. That was the first time he got a chance to really huddle there with the rest of the brain trust with the Cleveland organization. And he was on cloud nine, getting a chance to learn under you know some of the national cross checkers and, and people of that ilk. So it was really fun. He's going to do a great job. He's a hard hardworking, conscientious and research-driven person. He's, that's, he's that's certainly going to be an asset of the organization. It's a great way to put it. That's what they're getting. They're getting a thorough, hardworking, passionate, baseball-loving guy who is going to leave no stone unturned to try to get better. That's what, he did. that's what he did for five years here. He just kept on getting better and better. And uh, We're just happy, very happy for Connor. I'm fighting a cold today, so Clint's going to carry a lot of the load today, but we're going to talk summer amateur baseball on this edition of the Baseball America podcast kind of previewing the Under Armour All-America Baseball game, which is coming up Saturday from Wrigley Field. I got diverted. I'll be going up to Aberdeen this weekend for a Cal Ripken uh, series, uh, 12-year-olds, because, you know, why not? 12 years old. But uh, <laughs> my son's almost 12. But Clint will be Clint will be at Under Armour, so Clint, I'll be DVR in the game. I'll be missing Wrigley Field. Our, uh, our old friend Jim Cowles will have the call on uh, MLB Network along with Paul Severino and company. Um, so obviously people can watch that game. They got a chance to see, really, uh, this month, really, Clint, is the month that outside of college baseball, this is the month that has the most amateur baseball on television between all the Little League hoo-ha, the Cal Ripken hoo-ha, and these uh, high school showcases. 
It's the only time of year that high school baseball is ever on the national radar with the perfect game All-American Classic, formerly the Athletic Game, everyone still calls it the Athletic Game, out in San Diego, and then Under Armour game uh, put on by Baseball Factory up at Wrigley Field. Why do you think that is, first off? This is an off-the-board question, but do you think there's a time coming where maybe NHSI, USA Baseball's high school tournament, could get on national television? Could that be... Uh, on TV, can we ever? Will we ever have high school baseball? Should we even have high school baseball on national TV? I know I, I get I roll my eyes when I see high school basketball <laughs> or high school football on ESPNU myself. But uh, ever going to be any high school baseball on there? You think? You know, I think the NHSI has a chance, especially since it has been so successful over its first three years. If it continues to build on that success, I could see ESPN three certainly having a day where they come out and cover a few of the top games, getting a chance to feature. You know, a half dozen of the future draft prospects. You know, potential first rounders for that year, like right. like there was this year. And you I guess know, the only thing you're you're battling with that time is uh, the conference championships for basketball, and you're know, spilling right over into the NCAA tournament with the last week of right. March. There, that's a great point. Which you kind of, I guess, would hope would be maybe MLB Network would you know have the championship game. You do know coming into the weekend, you don't know who the championship teams are going to be. But you know that the game is going to be, you know, whatever time. What is it? Saturday at ten in the morning is yeah. when the championship <laughs> game is. So, some of there are any major league games that are in that window. So it would be great to, you know, uh, maybe preempt the prime nine. That's our prime nine. <laughs> What's yours? <laughs> My son loves the prime nine. He's nine. He loves prime nine. But uh, yeah, that that could be possible. That would be the only high school baseball game in the regular season that would ever be on. Um, I can't see East Coast Showcase. I can't see area codes i can't see pg national being on national tv but so this is the week sunday we had the pg game a perfect game uh, classic down in san diego bookended now on saturday so this is really our first look at the nationally at the high school players in the class of 2015 so we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh touch a little bit also on the college class of 2015 <coughs> excuse me with the caveat that Aaron Fitz doing our Cape Cod League uh, top 30 prospects. Still in the process of compiling that as the Cape playoffs uh, grind to their conclusion. Clint, you throw in another one more point on the TV part before I uh, dive into the, the class of 2015. Yeah, we'll just say the area codes. ESPN3 covered that for one day, so that was great to have them out there for four straight games. You can see a lot of the talent out there. And just to provide these specifics for the Under Armour game, it is going to be played the first this first night game in the history right. of the event. It's going to be played at six six oh five. Um, Central time. Central time, but the game will be broadcast on MLB Network, I believe, at 7 p.m. on Sunday. So everybody, everybody will get a chance to see it then. You know, I think a lot of people will go. You know, we'll be back in their homes by that point. Gotcha. So it'll, it'll be priority viewing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's on tape delay, but you've also got uh, Wrigley Field. It's pretty hard to, pretty hard to beat. That's one of the things that to me separates the game, is uh, high school players getting to play in Wrigley Field and getting to see what a small clubhouse is like, because <laughs> as opposed to I'm sure Petco <laughs> is palatial. Um, but let's especially a, night game. How many night games do they have annually? So it's, yeah, it's, it's I, special. I do think as a chance to to be a special event for those players. Uh, this, I think these events, uh, you know, Under Armour's already tweeting out pictures of the players' lounge. We've been in that players' <laughs> lounge, and how I guess the word has to be swagged out. It is because it really is. It's tricked out, and uh, you know the. Uh, Perfect game even gives a swag award <laughs> at their game. Um, it's a different generation of player. I'm 42 in my day, you know. <laughs> but that's kind of where we are, Clint. Um, these games are. Is, this is a week where these players get to get uh, get to get uh, you know paraded around as the cream of the crop, and they are. And it looks like it's a pretty exciting high school class of player. It's certainly 
feels like, and we're you know, 10 months out, and maybe the college class will get a lot better once uh, Brady Aiken and Jacob Nix settle on their 2015 playing destinations. Rumors about them playing in junior college baseball, not founded as of yet. Um, you can see my Twitter feed at John Manuel BA for that. But so far, we don't quite have uh, those two guys in the college class. And the college class seems fairly pedestrian. Clint, the high school class does not. High school class seems like it's got its strengths and weaknesses, but there's more excitement, I think, at this point in the scouting community, in the industry, for the high school class than there is for the college class, correct? You know, I like you said, I think it's early, but just given what we've seen on the Cape so far, that it is down a little bit compared to its historical standards. Team USA is as well, and maybe the best uh, pitcher in the entire class hasn't even thrown yet, so that is an unknown. Right. Uh, you're right. I, I Michael Batchuel of Duke. Yes. I, I believe that the depth is probably within, within the high school class. But in all fairness, uh, this this high school class is probably by most people is not viewed quite as quite as talented as last year, and the depth of arms we had in last year's class was really truly special. You know, we knew that last year at the time, and I think uh, you know just seeing the players this summer further reinforces that because I think this is probably an above average group of high school pitchers compared to the last five years. But right. nothing is going to compare to last year's class. And let's put it this way: in that context, first of all, last year was like this epic year of high school velocity, I mean, just historic. Uh, it's difficult to quantify, but all the evidence that we do have is that it was a kind of a record-setting, or just again, just a, a peak uh, in terms of depth of velocity. Second of all, you mentioned Michael Machuela. Th- this guy, I do think, um, and you detailed him better than anybody else is going to detail him from what he was doing this uh, sophomore year. It was great stuff. Look for it on our website. Uh, I really love what you wrote about it. So if Michael Machuela, just say he's uh, that in come next May, he's number one on our board, uh, on uh, on our, the BA 500. His track record would be a guy who, coming into his junior season, has never thrown more than 58 innings in a season, didn't pitch the summer for USA or Cape, has thrown one complete game, which is probably a good thing, but I mean, like, you know, doesn't have the workload that you're usually looking for in a number one, just doesn't have the track record of the usual college number one uh, first pick. Again, talk, compare him to Carlos Rodon. The whole reason Carlos went third this year was track record. It wasn't what he did this spring. This spring, he was just pretty good. He wasn't the best. But it was track record and left-handedness that had him go as the top college player picked, and he signed the largest bonus. Why? Well, who he's represented by and track record. Those are the things. Machuela could be the top college prospect, and he doesn't have that track record. So I think it just tells you it's an unusual year. Yes. The thing that you now you went to the Cape for a day, basically you buzzed up and back for a Cape workout day at Fenway Park. You shadowed the college national team so much so they probably thought that you were an agent, and the, play, the players probably thought you worked for an agent. Um, so you saw a lot of them. I saw a lot of them. Not as much as you, but I saw a lot of them. Let's touch on that real quick, Clint. In that the way that we've talked about it in the office is you could go position by position, and the twenty. 13 college national team was a solid, maybe a tick above average college national team, but it wasn't. It wasn't 2003. No, 2004. That's the one I measure all those teams by. 2004 had Alex Gordon, Ryan Zimmerman. That was a great, great team. 2003 was also a great college national team. I'm sure there have been some since then, but I, I'm stuck in my period of time. And yeah. 2003 team lost two games all summer. I uh, had Jared Weaver in Houston Street, bookending Justin Verlander. 
had some really nice pitching on that uh, staff. 2000 team was another great team. Teixeira and Pryor led that college national team in 2000. But you're looking at 2013, Kyle Schwarber and Grayson Griner behind the plate. Schwarber wound up, wound up going fourth overall in the draft. Um, you had uh, Alex Bregman and Trey Turner in the middle infield. Uh, you had Michael Conforto in the outfield, Bradley Zimmer, all these first-round picks. You go at 2014 team, Clint, and basically at every spot around the diamond, the 2013 team I think we thought was a better team. And that includes Bregman 2013 to Bregman 2014. <laughs> and then uh, kind of, you know, obviously the situation's a little flipped because this year's team finished in Cuba, playing Cuba, whereas Cuba last year came here. But the U.S. swept Cuba last year. This year got swept in Havana. And that Cuban team last year, half that team tra- <laughs> transferred, I was about to say, half that team has exited the island stage north. <laughs> so... Uh, that was not as good of a Cuban team. It didn't feel like it was supposed to. It wasn't perceived as as good of a Cuban team at the U.S. college national team kind of uh, got housed down there. So pretty ordinary college national team, I think, is a fair way to put it. I, I would totally agree. And speaking with evaluators, that was, that was exactly what they thought. And I think we might be um, giving short shrift to last year's class because last year, you know, it might have been a tick above average, but in putting the context of, the, of that draft year, yes, it was well right. above average. There were 10 first-round picks. When I went back, I think I looked back like seven or eight years. It was an average of around four to six wow, first-round picks. So it was really last year it was ten. And, yeah, you look around. I mean, they had four first-rounders just on the mound. And then you look around the diamond, kind of like you said, just lining up position by position. And almost every spot, you're going to go with last year's class over this year's class. Yeah. And this year, you did have some bats, but there were a lot of players – towards the bottom end of the defensive spectrum. Not necessarily, you didn't have Bradley Zimmer out there in center field. Some of you thought might have the ability to stay out there right. and provide a very wide skill set. You're right. That's a great point. That's a great way to put it. Um, so, the, but, so the strengths of this year's team, uh, we'll touch on this from the college national team. You know, for me, that team got a lot more interesting when the Vanderbilt guys showed up. Tremendously It so. really made a big difference. <laughs> it was a below-average team. Before those guys showed up, but when Brian Reynolds, who's not a class of 2015 draft uh, uh, prospect, he's 2016. So when Dansby Swanson and Carson Fulmer showed up, that really changed that team. Uh, Reynolds changed the team offensively because he was because he can hit. But when you had Fulmer show up with that premium fastball and Swanson show up as a middle of the diamond player who could hit. Uh, that made a big difference. Now, did Swanson play any shortstop during the summer for the U.S. team that you saw? Not that I saw. And in speaking with evaluators, that was what they wanted to see. That's it. You know, a lot of people were asking the question, who would you rather take, Bregman or Swanson? And everybody said, you know what? If, if, if we can just see Swanson on the other side of the bag and he's adequate there, we think that he might be the guy. It's the unknowable right now. That, but that's the question going in. I think the most watched position on the college class in 2015 – will be college shortstop, especially in the Southeastern Conference, because you got three guys off the top of my head. I'm sure there are others, but Mikey White at Alabama, yeah. plus Dansby Swanson making the move from second to short for Vanderbilt. He's the defending national championship team. He's the defending college most World Series most outstanding player. Then you have Bregman, who, as we talked about, we heard the comment in that game I was at in Fayetteville where he made the play to the hole, and the scout behind us goes, there's that Albuquerque swagger. you know. <laughs> so he's got that Albuquerque swagger. That's one of my favorite lines. I'm going to go on a huge tangent here, but when I was at uh, UNC uh, back in the day, Henrik Rodel was a German player on the 1993 national championship team, 
and we wrote a feature about him having that Hussenstamm savvy. He was from Hussenstamm, Germany, which I'm sure I'm not pronouncing correctly, but that's how I remember it. It's probably like Hussenstamm. But anyway, that, that sticks in my head. When I heard that scout say Albuquerque swagger, it's like there's no such thing as Albuquerque swagger. Unless that's a line from Breaking Bad that I missed. You're the Breaking Bad expert. Is there Albuquerque swagger in there? Not that I've heard. And just to throw another shorts up from the SEC into that mix, Richie Martin. Yeah, he, absolutely. He really impressed quite a few people on the Cape, especially in the workout day. He showed An athletic a grinder. Power. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like you said, so he showed some power in that workout up there? He did. Yep, power to his pull side, athleticism, showed very, very smooth actions defensively, and had a plus run time in the 60. I'm not sure how it plays in games. I've not seen it in games. But, yeah, I think he probably deserves to be in that discussion. And A.J. Simcox, Tennessee, another yep. uh, shortstop who was the, what, the top prospect in the Alaska League as a freshman. Yep. Um, so that league is going to, I mean, big shock that scouts <laughs> are going to flock to the SEC, but specifically in the middle of the diamond. And um, Swanson versus Bregman, to me, is kind of like where that starts. And those two players are awfully confident, but they're very different kinds of players. I mean, Alex Bregman, really, if you're going to comp him to a big leaguer, you are going to throw Dustin Pedroia on him. You're gonna, that's, that's his most similar players. And not, I mean, what, what kind of comparisons do you hear on Swanson? I haven't asked a scout about it myself, but I'm not sure if a, if a comp has come up with him. No, honestly, I haven't heard one either. But just to go back to Bregman... His swing is just incredibly unique. I tried to ask that of a few evaluators. Can you think of a guy whose swing started like that and had had the same load and the same swing path? And they were they were actually stumped. I, I don't know if they were just playing. Coach, it's unique because his it, hands can almost drop. He's got like these low hands, right, in his swing. He's just a unique looking. Yeah. He's a unique player and, all the way around. And even some of the national evaluators that I spoke with said that they're just having a tough time figuring out his tools as well, which, you know, you see a team for five straight days, you should be able to, you know, come out of that and have a pretty accurate uh, depiction of what those tools are. But the run tool can play very differently, dependent upon when you see him defensively. He's just a very tough guy to figure out. Extremely talented, but unique in many ways. I remember you saying that, like, his times to first were very inconsistent. And, hey, the bottom line is he had a bad junior year. You look up what yep. he did in this in SEC play this year. He didn't hit. And I think yep. he hit like 220 in SEC play. So and, and most of that was BABIP-fueled. If I right. remember right, the strikeout and walk um, they were ratios, bad. they improved actually significantly compared to his freshman year. But his BABIP, I think his freshman year was around 390, maybe 394, was around 315. So, again, very small sample size right. in college, about talking about 200-some plate appearances but didn't quite impact the baseball or did not find the grass that he did his freshman year. Right. It seemed like it was a bad start, the way that just the guys I talked about. was a, And, of course, uh, an extra small tidbit thrown in here is that now he's got an ex-big leaguer and an ex-area scout and Andy Cannizzaro yeah. of the Yankees, who's recently been hired as the recruiting coordinator at LSU. But you've got to imagine Andy is going to be involved in there in the hitting. So I, I just I think it's very extra, well respected. Very well respected, very well regarded guy, and you just give extra kudos to Palmineri. If you're looking for a coaching staff that is going to be respected in Pro Bowl by pro teams, Palmineri's won a national championship. His best friend in the world is Jim Hendry. His dad, Danny Maneri, coached up dozens of big leaguers <laughs> at Miami Dade. Palmineri's grown up in the game, coached at Notre Dame obviously, uh, Air Force and now LSU. His resumes, as long as you know, uh, well, I won't make a bad analogy. I thought I had one that was good. That was going to be Josh Norris related, but I'll leave him alone. <laughs> but it was a, it's a long resume. And then Alan Dunn, former Cubs pitching uh, minor league pitching coach, as his pitching coach, who's already been involved with the, the Gossmans of the world and the other pro, Aaron Nola, two high you know, single digit first round picks 
in his short time there at LSU, and now Andy Canizzaro joins the staff. So pretty impressive group there. And we definitely look forward to breaking down the college class in its totality, getting Aaron on where we'll probably go, yep. go you know, more than an hour breaking down the Cape and you know all the other different big leagues. The strength of the college national team was the middle infield, and I kind of want to transition that to the high school side because it sounds like that's one of the weaknesses, I guess, right now, Clint, because the high school side, there is velocity, uh, there is pitching, there, there are some athletes, but I hate to start on the negative side, but one of the things that we usually see is the high school athletes, especially the up-the-middle players, uh, are there to make up for the lack of those kind of players at the college ranks, and in 2015 it could be the inverse. Absolutely. I mean, the strength of the col- of the position player crop on the high school side truly is the outfielders. There's tremendous outfield depth. When I was lining up East Coast Pro top prospects of position players, seven of the ten were outfielders. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Brendan Rogers is probably the top position player in the class. He entered he entered it, it certainly in discussion with a few other guys, potentially Daz Cameron being one of them. But Brendan Rogers, a, a shortstop out of Florida, had a tremendous East Coast pro. First few days, he was he was finding his timing a little bit, but still had the strength and made enough contact, you know, to get a few hits. You know, his final two or three days, he was on everything. He had a home run to his pull side, and there and I think later that game. He had a ball that uh, was on the warning track and dead center field at 400. You know, defensively, um, he, I think he's about six foot 190. He has longer hair, so some scouts have compared him uh, to Brandon Crawford. <coughs> that he looks like him, and then immediately when that comp is thrown out, like he's a better hitter. Right. Right, right. now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right now, more power, better hitting ability. He has a chance to be an offensive force and stay up the middle. Is he a left-handed bat? He's a right, right-handed right hitter. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was the, 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 so the mullet is why he gets the comp to Brandon, to Brandon Crawford. Huh? And um, that is actually one of the things that is up in this year's high school class as well, is long hair with Jonathan <laughs> India, Ash Russell. If you saw any of the uh, Perfect Game All-American Classic or will be watching the Under Armour game this weekend, you'll see quite a few players with long hair, a few of them pulled up in the samurai sort of look. So, so that's stock up for this class. <laughs> Stock up on the samurai look. <laughs> Outstanding. We, we may differ on that one. The samurai look always makes me think of John Belushi when I date myself. Oh, yeah. But I mean, uh, that's awesome. But when you, I, you really could tell when you wrote about Brendan Rogers in our uh, athletic preview, athletic preview, in our Under Armour preview, you could tell that, you know, it, you, you liked him. And it sounds like not only does he have some athletic ability and some hitting ability, but there's track record here too. This is not someone who's just busting out this summer. Oh, no, absolutely not. He was at the Tournament of Stars as an underclassman, I think, last year when there were only, I think, six underclassmen there. And he stood out as a junior against the top competition in the entire country. And then flash forward to last fall, Florida had a great middle infield crop. You talk about the fifth overall pick with, with Nick Gordon, Forrest Wall, who went 35th overall and Just got $2.5 million. A huge Milton year. Ramos. A huge year in Florida last year. It was Big tremendous. Per position players, and he was out there at the Florida Diamond Club, and he he fit in with that group. He, he was he was as good as any one of those guys potentially, even though he was a year younger. And he is a little bit older for the class. I believe he's going to be uh, 18 years old in 10 months. But he has track record, pedigree, and he had very easy power last year at Diamond Club. It's an easy swing, showed home run power and leverage, and then you would you saw the, the first few swings of Perfect Game National. All it took was. You know, just a, a, a brief little glimpse, and you're like, wow, his bat speed has improved by at least a full grade. Wow. He's hitting balls out to, to straightaway center down in Fort Myers. So just easy power and feel for the bat, natural feel for the game, 
a lot of fluidity defensively, great hands. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times when there's a shortstop with with his athletic ability, some people might say he, you know, might question his ability to stay there in the long term. But he, he's given every indication right now that he should at least be given the shot to, to remain there. But that's that's going to be a defining question of whether this is a top five pick or a six to ten. I mean, but he has the potential. It sounds like as a middle of the diamond player with offensive ability to be in those first five picks. Tremendously, Easily. yep, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, now, you, but you did talk about that the, the the rest of that middle infield class is kind of like we said, not, not softer. But the outfielders, it sounds like, are where the excitement is in this high school class. I think last year we have two returning players, two guys who played in the Under Armour game last year as underclassmen, coming back as rising seniors, and Daz Cameron and Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, of course, a favorite of ours because it's the same name as our former <laughs> advertising executive, Ryan Johnson, who played at Wake Forest. So, uh, one RJ to the other, we're always going to be fans of RJ. Um, but you also have in uh, Daz, Daz Cameron, you have a guy who kind of has been on the radar for a year or so. Uh, I guess at this time last year, uh, Clint, you would have said that Daz Cameron was the top guy in the class of 2015. Yeah. He may still wind up there. May not be there at, as of this moment. It's like it's it's Rogers for for you and for most evaluators. Yes, most evaluators. But but Daz Cameron is still a pretty dazzling potential power speed combination. Is he still the top outfielder in this class, or has he got so much competition that it's undetermined at this time? You know, I think that there's there's a big group in there at the top, and he's certainly in that group, and it could certainly emerge. The thing with, with Daz Cameron is. Um, he he's doesn't have quite the tools profile that many expected that he would have. As John mentioned, he's been known for a few years on the national scene, certainly because of his father and because he was just a very good player at a very young age. Showed he's, up at Jupiter as a freshman. He's almost a victim of his own success in some ways, isn't he? That he may have peaked in there in some scouts' minds, but he hasn't gotten a lot better since I saw him last summer. Yes, right? yeah, no, I, I think that's extremely fair. And he he does not have the tools, but he has the the instincts. You know, some of the scouts have said, you know, he maybe not have a true six um, as far as the scouting profile, but other, others think that he has the ability to pot- potentially be, a, you know, a plus hitter down the road. He didn't show that at East Coast Pro. He was uh, one for 12, I believe, in his East Coast Pro. Had a lot of ground, ground outs to the left side, a lot of pop-ups to the right side. He, he was just seeing but a lot of low spin. He, he was just he seeing a lot of low bat speed. But so he, he was just seeing a lot of low spin rate fastballs. Is that what? <laughs> that very well. Been reading my TrackMan data. Been trying to digest my TrackMan data. I'm sorry to have interrupted you for that. But but uh, so but one he, for twelve showing at East Coast Pro. That's not going to push you to the top of a of a crowded class of athletic outfielders. Absolutely. And he d- he has plus speed underway. It doesn't play as plus out of the box. Probably fifty or fifty five out of the box. He ranges very well in center field. In center field. But it's not quite the Byron Buxton or some of these other premier athletes that we've seen from Georgia in the last decade who have that true center field profile. And it's not his dad. I mean, like, his, yes. if, you're a, that. if you're a scout, you're comparing him to his dad. And that's a pretty high bar for the son to have to, uh, <laughs> to, have to surmount uh, when it comes to defense. Um, a couple of the uh, position players, I guess, that I wrote down, like, uh, you know, and I was really focusing more on hitter uh, on the pitchers, but Kyle Tucker seems like he's another outfielder who's maybe not more the athletic, but he stood out to me just because I'm familiar with his older brother, Preston. Uh, Preston Tucker, a uh, longtime Aaron Fitfave. I believe uh, Aaron said that Preston Tucker was going to be the next uh, Pedro Alvarez. And he's actually had a better pro career than I want to give him credit for because I don't want Aaron to be right. <laughs> but Preston Tucker's been pretty good in the Astros organization. He's in AAA, going to be a big leaguer. 
Kyle Tucker sounds like he's got a chance to be a big leaguer too. Pretty interesting bat, but a completely different profile than his big brother. Tremendously so. Yeah, he's a left-handed hitting outfitter from Florida, and he is uh, he's going to be one of the more polarizing players okay. of the entire class. He was billed potentially coming into this into the summer as maybe the top pure hit tool in the entire class. If I remember it, his uh, and granted these are high school stats, but these these are on the extreme ends where you actually tend to take notice. He had nine home runs and four strikeouts oh against very good competition in the Tampa area. He was being you know billed as potentially one of the top hitters to come out of Florida, you know, in the last decade if not longer. And he got to PG National in the Tournament of Stars, and he really struggled. The Tournament of Stars, he did not have a hit in 13 plate appearances, struck out in five of his, uh, struck out five times. But then you really start to. Su- start to see the bat play in game action at East Coast Pro. Now, he did have a ton of strikeouts as well, but when he hit it, it is easy plus bat speed. He has plus raw power, and the ball really just jumps off his bat. He's a unique player because the body is it's just so loose and limber. He's six foot three, broad shoulders. Just so different from his brother. Loose and limber is just not anything that was ever associated <laughs> with five foot eleven, two hundred twenty pound tank it's, Preston Tucker. It's incredible. And he should have my last name because he has one of the <laughs> longest necks out there. <laughs> and it's awesome. And he was uh, he was the only player who had a du- who had an extra base hit at the All American Classic. He had a double that one hopped uh, the center field fence. It was 105 miles an hour off the bat per track man. So if he can continue to make contact at a little higher rate, can allow the bat to play in the power. He probably doesn't fit long term in center field, even though he runs okay. He has enough arm to potentially fit in right field. It's about an average or maybe a tick better, probably average though. But, yeah, he's going to be a polarizing guy because kind of like with Daz Cameron, you're not necessarily – you're fighting the expectations that you fought coming in. It's kind of unfair because we don't have that with a lot of the other players in the class. That's a great way to put it. Um, uh, that, that, uh, that's really interesting because he has set his own expectations so high. and Playing high school, he's at high school in Tampa – a new, I, I guess I, I think I'm getting playing at high school mixed up with some other Florida high schools, but I did see there, that there are, there are two plants. Yes, one I think produced Wade Boggs, and that is not his. So this says and Plant High Tampa is him, but he's a different high school. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, or maybe, maybe that is the one. But yeah, there are multiple plants, and with uh, one of the things that makes Kyle Tucker so unique is the bat path. He starts his hands very, very low. Some of the comparisons that have been thrown out there in terms of his stance are uh, are Ted Williams and Stan Musial. Wow. Because he starts his hand so low, and his bat path is just so flat through the zone. Hmm. It's really something that you don't see in in the in modern-day baseball. Well, so, th- there's a Twitter. There's a guy on Twitter who hammers me and Matt Eddy about that all the time, about the low swing path. And I told him during the summer, watch Team USA and watch the, what was the Cal Poly guy's name? Matthias? Oh, Mark Matthias. Mark yeah. Matthias, who's one of the... You know, more interesting, better performing players for yep. the college national team. Maybe not more interesting from a tool standpoint, but he had really low hands. And really, Nick Markakis is the current big leaguer I think of with the flat, with the low hands, flat swing path. And he's yep. never really developed big power. Um, you know, he's kind of always had that kind of fringy tweener power. Um, certainly works in Baltimore when you play next to a center fielder with the power like Adam Jones has. But <laughs> That that's that is intriguing that and, he's that kind of You'll certainly appreciate this because I'll bring it back to John Belushi. Uh, <laughs> Preston Tucker, the nickname that Florida scouts had for him was the Samurai because he also started his hands very low and had a very very flat swing path as well. And so his 
And so Kyle Tucker's nickname, of course, has been Samurai Junior because nice. it is similarly <laughs> low and flat. That's awesome. So there's some bloodlines there. That's another segue. There are plenty of bloodlines that are going to be uh, on display in the Inter Armour game uh, this Saturday, this Sunday on MLB Network when they show the game. Um, obviously, there's a Clemens. Uh, every year there's a Clemens in this, uh, <laughs> yeah, in the, in the, in the Inter Armour game. I know it's just been two years, but Cody Clemens. Let's start off with Cody Clemens. How uh, how does Cody Clemens shake out as a prospect? Is, is he going to be more like Kobe, his older brother, who was the first baseman for Texas uh, this past season, a uh, key part of their Omaha team? Is this is Cody Clemens more of a grinder, college type player? That's, that's my first impression of him. You know, I th- I, I don't I, I think that's I think that's pretty spot on. One of the things that stood out was he was not on the area codes Texas team. So okay. when 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 the pro scouts were evaluating. They did not necessarily put him in that same context, but he does have aptitude for the game. If you saw the Perfect Game All-American Classic, he made he was playing second base and he made a diving stop in the hole uh, when the game was was actually a nice a nice pitching duel back and forth there when there were zeros across the board. He has aptitude for the game, left-handed bat. Uh, he, he probably has the ability to stay at the middle at the college level and what he's he's just a very good player with 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 present aptitude for the game. So we've mentioned, uh, obviously, Clemens, Cameron, and then you've got a couple other interesting uh, sons of big leaguers, Nick Shumpert, uh, son of Terry Shumpert, who was a veteran utility player, and Cabrian Hayes, son of Charlie Hayes. Now, I've always been bringing up Charlie Hayes as the uh, one of the last regulars drafted out of high school in Mississippi who reached the major leagues, but Cabrian Hayes is out of Texas. But also, it just is interesting to read the write-ups that you, when you've seen Cabrian this summer – that it's kind of more of a raw athlete type as opposed to a set of a big league where I thought would be a little bit more polished. Well, yeah, I think that's something that we've seen develop over the course of the summer. Um, he, we were fortunate because last year he was on the area code team. His body has improved tremendously, and I was very fortunate I get a chance to speak with Charlie about uh, his son's transformation with his body and his work ethic over the last year, and it sounds like he has shed about 15 to 20 pounds. He's wow. been up every single morning uh, swimming in the a.m. before school, and whatnot, and he really has a polished bat. You know, okay. some of the other tools uh, may may not be quite as polished, but he has uh, he's made a good amount of contact against good good competition every single event so far. Cool. He's got very quick hands, and he just has a very line drive, gap to gap approach. Um, he did, probably has more power in there than what he's shown in BP, just because he takes a very professional BP. Um, he has the arm strength to play third base. It. Uh, you know, the movement skills maybe are not what you'd look for, but he does move well enough to certainly to certainly profile there. And, and Nick Shumpert sounds a little bit like his old man. Defensive aptitude, athleticism, infielders, a high school shortstop. I guess people are going to want to just see, scouts seem to see a little more with the bat, it sounds like, for him to be thought of as more of a first-round talent. Yeah, so that, that, like, that's a great call. Yeah, because he certainly, he certainly shows the tools. And he's someone else, you know, we were fortunate to see him as an underclassman. He's improved tremendously. His body and his speed, and in talking with Terry, it sounds like this is when they really put the emphasis this year on hitting the weight room and getting into their consistent workouts. Because his speed, he was consistently running from the right side about four or five. You're going to get him four two this summer. Wow, the speed has improved tremendously. He's always had defensive aptitude. When we saw him at the Area Code Games last year, I think two of the six days he made the defensive play of the day. Hmm. He was a defensive standout there. He has the ability to potentially play shortstop at the. You know, at the big league level, he's got the arm strength. He's got he's just a very, very good defender. And the bat, he shows power. He shows a lot more power than a lot of the other middle infielders might. 
It's just can the swing play and can he make consistent uh, can he make consistent contact in game action? And so, you know, big events for for Colorado players and yeah. for Northern players like this, where they are seeing you know big time velocity. You know, it's very very important for these guys. And so, these are the sorts of players that will get a ton of looks at Jupiter come the fall. Don't get me too off on my Colorado <laughs> tangent, but usually Colorado's all about power arms, Clint. So that's kind of let me transition into the. Hey, the part that it does seem like draft Knicks are most interested in are these power arms. And that was one of the big stories of the perfect game uh, classic. I, I think it's expected that pitching will again dominate this Under Armour game uh, as it happened at the perfect game classic. You had a shutout there for the first time in that game, in the history of that game, uh, which is now in its 12th season. Um, this Under Armour game has been going on since 2006, I believe it was. 2005, I think, actually, was the first Cape Cod classic. That's the game that evolved into the Under Armour uh, All-American game. And there's going to be pretty big power arms here as well. Again, Ash Russell is the, uh, to me, is like from the right-handed side. It's like he's the one who stands out. Maybe it's just the mullet, but to me, uh, to me, it is. And this is also a Cathedral Catholic, his high school program there at Indiana, that's got some track record as well. Tommy Hunter uh, was there before his two-year stint at Alabama, and then Dylan Peters, the tenth-round pick of the Marlins this year out of of, uh, Texas. So those are the two Cathedral Catholic Catholic. Guys, not Brady Aiken's Cathedral Catholic in San Diego. <laughs> this is Cathedral Catholic there in Indianapolis. Is Ash Russell the Ash, Ash Russell right now the top prep right-hander, or is he in that? If he's not, who else is in that competition with him? Yeah, I think I think he's certainly in the discussion for that. And it, it's amazing because Indiana is going to have uh, a good high school pitching crop. Is probably they've had in the last decade or so. <laughs> and there've been some guys. I mean, obviously Alex Meyer and Trey Ball, the two guys that jump out. To my head, as Indiana high school guys, I'm sure I'm missing Jared Parker. Yeah, I think so. Yep, 2007. Yeah, and these guys are all big with fast arms, and that's really the thing that stands out with Ash Russell. It's the combination of his size, being a legitimate six four, long, lean, rangy build with a little bit of strength to his lower half, and just the arm speed with Ash. Right. It, you know, as as a cross checker put it to me, you don't, you know, guys that have that sort of body and that sort of arm speed, those are the guys that play in the big leagues for for quite a few years. Now, the complicating factor with Ash is. Uh, his the arm action is not necessarily the prettiest. It's very high in the back and is a little bit of a lower arm slot. But he, uh, even though he didn't fill up the strike zone um, at the Purple Game All American Classic as much as he normally does, he usually throws a good amount of strikes. And his fastball uh, usually sits about 90, 91 to ninety four, touching ninety five. Uh, down in Georgia, we we saw him in the Worldwood Bat and. <laughs> He had a complete complete game, seven outing or seven innings. When he was ninety two to ninety four, touching ninety five, broke bats left and right, and maintained that velocity. That was the that's the one I remember reading from this summer where that was like the sound of like the electric. single best outing by a high school pitcher this summer. It was one of them. Yeah, I think he broke Isaiah Gilliam, who was also a perfect game All American. He broke his bat at least two, potentially wow. three times. You know, run to both sides of the plate. And the breaking ball has depth because of his lower arm slot, and his arm slot does tend to wander a little bit. The shape does change, but it shows at least average, if not flashing above average potential. Well, that obviously uh, gives you something to work on. From a co, if you're a scout, you're giving that information to your development staff. If you draft this guy, as you know, as he gains strength, as he physically matures, yeah. to f- get a more consistent release point and slot to make those things more consistent. Absolutely. But the other right-hander, I guess, who's jumped out to me just in reading your stuff is Joe Demers, a guy who's on that tournament, was in the Tournament of Stars here, has some track record with USA Baseball, was on the 14U team a couple of years back. Just another kind of physical uh, high school right-hander. Yeah, he was the only 
only underclassman on the gold medal winning team last year, and he was a key bullpen arm uh, for them last year. And it sounds like he's going to be a critical arm for them this year, potentially uh, moving it over into the rotation because he has the, you know, many scouts that believe that his body and his delivery kind of look like relievers. Okay. But the thing is that he has he has a fastball that ran up to 96 at the All American Classic. Normally sits in. I don't know, the 91 to 93 range, but he has a legit four-pitch mix, and all, right. all, all four pitches could be at least average, with two of them flashing better. So it's a starter's repertoire yeah, exactly. from a reliever's body and delivery, but he has maintained his velocity as well as any starter throughout the course of the entire summer at all these different big events, and he gets he's going to be able to get ground balls. He gets uh, you know a lot of life and run to his fastball. He's going to be a very fascinating guy. Uh, I think he could be somewhat polarizing depending upon – what the scouts see because the stuff is good. It, it's very good stuff. But he's right. potentially the eye of the holder sort of player. And the other right-handed pitcher that, um, and again, you can add others to this mix. But the guy it sounds like the scouts want to see the most who will be at this Under Armour game. Joe Demers will not be. Um, Ash Russell will be. But Corey Zangari. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Yep. But out of Oklahoma, uh, Carl Albert High, which I believe was Gavin Lavalley, was that yep. him this year? So. Again, this is a pr- very prominent program in Oklahoma that's won a lot of games, won some state titles. Uh, Corey Zingari is a reason for that, I'm going to guess, in recent years. And he says like he's not been on the showcase circuit a lot this summer. He's instead been American Legion Ball. So this will be really his national kind of coming out party. So probably uh, you know when he walks out to the mound, they'll play All Eyes on Me for Corey <laughs> Zangari as his walk-up music, whether he wants it or not. Yeah, it's only going to be one inning, but it's going to be a very important inning for Corey Zangari. As John mentioned, he's not been on the showcase circuit. He was supposed to be on the White Sox area codes team, but he plays Legion Ball, and their Legion Ball team advanced very far, and he was supposed to pitch in the All-American Classic, and that again, you know, uh, inter- interfered. Wow, but he, okay. he should be here, and uh, he's been a part of three straight uh, state championship winning teams, as John mentioned, on a very prominent uh, Carl Albert team. And the funny thing is, um, I've looked at his stats from last year. He has not gotten a single inning, at least as far as the records that we've found online, on the mound. He's a six foot four, two 225-pound, wow. just very powerful guy. He's gotten his time behind the plate. And in an area codes game workout earlier this summer, he ran his fastball up to 96. Wow. With some guns having 97, although I couldn't confirm 97. But <laughs> that sort of power stuff, for for us to be this late, in the summer, for the summer to be winding down, and for scouts to have, you know, so little history with him, he's really going to be a fascinating guy. So, can, so can we make a trip to Oklahoma next? Absolutely, next spring? <laughs> sounds like we need to. Five oh five with eleven home runs last spring uh, for Carl Albert High. But yeah, the story on the Oklahoma, the Daily Oklahoman in Oklahoma City is, yep, he's a catcher, and now he's going to have he'll be in this game, and there's a change of position for him. So I mean, like, <laughs> I'm thinking of him as a pitcher and. Uh, so this will be the first time, really, that he'll be thought of as a pitcher. And uh, Does he hit enough that anyone would consider him behind the mound? And uh, Have you talked to scouts who've seen him? Uh, it sounds like hitter? he is something of a prospect behind the plate. I'm not sure how much. Most of that is secondhand, so right. I think we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. But most of the people that I did speak with first or secondhand believe that, yeah, the future is probably on the mound. And the left-handers uh, uh, in, in the class seem like they just kind of took center stage at the PG game out in San Diego between Colby Allard and Justin Hooper, who physically couldn't be much more different. Hooper, <laughs> Hooper 6'7", 230. Allard's listed at 6'175". He's, but i got to tell you, Clint, yeah, he's not even 11. that. Yeah, and I, I would guess he's 5'11". 
And that's this is a bee in Clint's bonnet <laughs> is accurate measurements, which is why we need a combine. That's a whole other story. But I gotta tell you, I read about Allard, who just turned seventeen, right? It was sixteen today. of the game. Oh, today, today's so, his birthday. Happy so ha- birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> so, so he was sixteen, hitting ninety six in this game on a big league mound. And I gotta tell you, other than the lack of physicality, comparing him to Brady Aiken, there are a lot of Brady Aiken similarities. Left handed. Throwing hard, but known more for his pitchability than for the velocity, down to the UCLA commitment. What's the difference between besides the physicality, or is he pretty similar to Brady Aiken? No, he's he's much more wiry than than, than Brady is. Uh, you know, somebody right. that posed that the on body, Twitter. The body's nowhere, not not anywhere similar. Doesn't yep. sound like. I think the changeup is probably the separator from where these guys were last year. And, and last year. And Brady, in this game, he showed his best velocity the entire summer, running it up to 93. Right. Last summer, he mostly pitched in that 88 to 91 range. And Colby, this year, even though he has a very thin, wiry build, then he's looking to you know get, you know, get stronger and improve upon because I think he said he's 175. He hopes to get up to 190 when I spoke with him after the game. Um, yeah, he, he, his, his, velocity, <laughs> his velocity has been 90 to 92, touching 93 across the board at all these events this summer. And then he comes out and... Had 192, and the rest were largely in that 94, and he had touch 95. Some guns had 96, but yeah, I think the change of probably separated for him. He very rarely throws it when this time last year, Brady showed an above average change up, right. and you know had, had a chance to be at least plus, if if not better than that. But you're right, there are a ton of similarities between these two. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> not, not to mention the age, Brady was young he, for the class. He will be 18, I think, next week. He's he's still only 17, which. Which is just another amazing fact. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that, that is. There's just too many ways. It's a strange case. Um, meanwhile, Justin Hooper, pretty unique case. It sounds like Clint, a guy. It's just very hard to go through history and find high school left-handers who threw 97 as a matter of course. It's also hard to go back and find guys who were six seven two thirty. <laughs> I mean, this year we found that Tyler Kolick as a right-hander, that he was the biggest high school right-hander that we could find in BA history of going, going back through draft history of what we list guys' heights and weights at six six two fifty, We couldn't find anybody who had that combination of, uh, was he was the heaviest, was he yes, not? Yes, he was. Heaviest listed high school right-hander, high school pitcher drafted. Like we had Sabathia in 1997 listed at six seven two forty, I believe. So um, Hooper's only 230 now, but he's got a 10 months between now and the draft. I mean, that, when he when you see him pitch, does he look like a is Sabathia like the most logical comparison because of that size, or how coordinated is he at that he, at that size and at this age? He struggled with his control a little bit of the All American Classic, but he's fairly coordinated in the arm speed. He's another guy like Ash Russell, big and with arm speed that you don't normally see from guys like that. The ball just really jumps out of his hand. It's quite tremendous to see, and with his arm slot, it. A cross-checker put it best when they said it, it looks like the ball is coming out of his armpit. Yeah, it's re- like it's really, really tough to pick up. And just to kind of put this in historical context, I spent a good amount of the morning uh, trying to research this with a left-hander who was up to 96 or 97 in the summer, and I reached out to uh, eight different evaluators uh, who have been decision-makers in the game for a long time, and the only uh, players they could think of who touched 90, 97 or better from the left side uh, during the summer um, with Scott Casimir. We have a yeah. confirmed 97. And uh, Brian Taylor, he touched 98 in the spring. I, I don't think at this time we can confidently say what he was in the summer. Right. But he's somebody who pushed into that range. And I'm also asking uh, evaluators, when's the last time they could remember the hardest thrower in the prep class being a left-hander? 
That's that's also another rarity. So it's very it's, rare. The guys that you have on this list, like an Andrew Miller, in the 2003 high school draft class, I don't believe he was. I mean, he entered the year as one of the bigger deals. I mean, Jeff Allison was the high school player of the year that year. Yeah. Didn't give up a run in uh, Massachusetts that spring facing Wood Bats. Um, obviously had his drug problems after he signed and that really surfaced after he signed. I do remember Tyler Matzik, a report of him hitting 98 like the week before the 2009 draft. What was he at Cap, Strat- Cap Valley High School? I think he's at Capistrano Valley High. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at this list. Just got a chance to see Daniel Norris on uh, Sunday. He was awfully good in AAA, but I don't think he threw that hard in high school. Yeah. Myers Quigley, definitely a name from the <laughs> B.A. past. When Alan Matthews' favorites, well-known later in his career for kicking out the uh, window of a patrol car. Have you heard that story? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. He got arrested for something and uh, kicked out the window of a patrol car. Oh, no. That's why Myers Quigley, uh, I'm not going to say anything else mean about him. It just didn't work out. The way that we thought it potentially could work out for Miles Qu- Myers quickly work it out that way. We'll leave it there. And then, uh, you know, but uh, M- Madison Bumgarner, another guy, big physical left-hander, who more lived in that 92-93, but always would pop you that five or that seven uh, throughout his high school the, the, when he was really under scrutiny as one of the top players. In the, and, of course, as a member of that, to me, one of the epic recruiting classes of all time. Madison Bumgarner, Matt Harvey, Rick Porcello, all in the same North Carolina recruiting class, and they did get Matt Harvey. Um, and all three of those guys have had pretty significant major league success. So um, pretty interesting class. Hooper will be in this game, uh, in the Under Armour game that we're previewing still. Um, who are some of the other pitchers who are you looking forward to seeing there? I know you've already seen Kyle Molnar. That's a name familiar to me. We saw him in NHSI. He just seems like he, I about to say, it just seems like Kyle Molnar just is just kind of steady as he goes, average to above average fastball, really good breaking ball, one of the better spin rates on the breaking ball on the That's track right. band data <laughs> at area codes, um, and just a guy with athleticism, some present physicality, some polish. So for me, he's actually one of the guys I know in this high school class, and uh, he's like he keeps on coming to the post and answering the bell whenever uh, he's out at one of these events. Yeah, he's very athletic, and he's he's one of the. Uh, they're the more prominent guys out of California this year. Does he have a younger brother who's an outfielder? Who was the outfielder on that team? On oh, Blake Sable. Who's, Blake Sable, who's, who's the younger who's a, brother of yeah, Stephen he's, Sable. He's a, he's a rising junior this year who was at the Tournament of Stars yet. He's certainly going to be one of, the, one of the more prominent players of that class. As he a was a left-handed pretty, bat with aptitude. He was pretty interesting looking. I just yeah. remember he jumped out <laughs> at that. But who are some other pitchers who fans should look for uh, in this baseball factory game who might light the light on the, with the radar gun and, uh, and, and, and pitch their way into the first half, uh, into the first round? I think if you're if you're going to look for velocity, Bo Burrows is probably the first place we should look after the guys we've already mentioned. Of course, Texas. We should look in Texas. Absolutely, and and, and a place that breeds uh, velocity because he is uh, he is a student of the Texas Baseball Ranch and Ron Wolforth and everything that they teach there at the ranch. He's been consistently touching 95 and 96 at almost every single event this summer. He's very he's a very athletic pitcher. He's he's broad shouldered, six foot two, has a very good body. And one of the things that he's done that's really impressed. Uh, myself as well as a lot of evaluators is the pitchability has improved with him mm. throughout the course of the summer you know he had uh, a disastrous outing um, at the tournament of stars but then he came back he started to throw more strikes and more consistent and quality strikes locating down in the zone he has a pretty high arm slot and when his fastball is up it tends to get hit quite a bit flattens out obviously yeah tremendously so yeah especially especially with his slot but locating down in the zone more frequently in a one inning stint, I would expect that we'll see Bo Burrows like he did 
um, just a few days ago will probably be in that 93 to 95, touch 96 with an outside shot. It may be 97. Could Cole McKay join him as another Texas big arm? Uh, 6'5", 215. We have that he's touched 94 at times as well. Yeah, I think he could certainly run up there into that 94, 95 range. The thing that stands out with Cole McKay is really just kind of the feel for his off-speed stuff. Even though he has that big physical uh, Texas build that you look to see out of the power right-handers, his fastball is going to sit um, at his best in the 91 and 93 range. It was down at area codes. It was okay. not in that range there, but he's pitched a lot this summer. And, you know, talking to scouts, they, they think even though he didn't have a grid out in there, you give his arm some rest in the summer. Right. We'll, or Next spring, we'll hear him touching 95 and 96. He has a chance for at least at least a, a 60 breaking ball. And mm. his changeup shows a ton of tumble, tremendous feel for his changeup. So at least two above average off-speed pitches with a fastball has a chance to come back up right. you know, in, in the one-inning stance and hopefully with a little bit more rest next spring into the into the touch in the mid, mid-90s. mid I don't mean to make it all Texans, but you, Luke and Baker is another big physical Texan. <laughs> We've written about him this summer. Uh, you did, especially with the, winning the Junior Home Run Derby in Minneapolis. But this is another power arm right-hander, hit 95 at the perfect game, All-America Classic on Sunday, another guy who could light up that radar gun. Tremendously so. And if you want physicality... Yeah. Luke and Baker, he, he he's the guy he's the guy to watch. He's six foot he's six foot four I think officially and two fifty five. Just as as strong as strong as Texas can get, and the size of his hands I, I was he practically destroyed my hand. Just the width of his hands I felt like I was shaking the hand of a defensive tackle. The strength that he has, and as John mentioned, uh, he emerged and went up to the. Uh, uh, MLB uh, Junior MLB Select Home Run Derby and won it there, and he had uh, an authoritative home run at the Area Code Games. And uh, although he doesn't fit the typical profile of the two-way player that we see, you know, to highlight some of these high school classes, a lot of evaluators are asking whether they would like him better on the mound or as a position player because he's a well below average runner, but he has so much thump, and the ball really just makes a different sound off of his bat. But on the mound, where he has more experience, he'll run it up, as John said, the 95. And the breaking ball's been inconsistent, but it can show at least above average. And he can pitch with downhill, playing at some sink at the bottom of the zone. He's he's going to be one of the more interesting players to figure out, just because the body and the physicality. He's in the he's in the Kolek sort of mold, okay. even though we said that he was a guy that you know it was really tough to compare him to. There's no direct comparison there, right. but he's in that family of. Of players, I like that. I always love my family. The phylum. He's in the phylum of players. Families. I like that. Okay, now, so I'm going to end the podcast with a somewhat of a tangent. I got to tell you, I'm just reading through the East Coast write-ups, reading through the area code write-ups, the power and the home runs just seems like it's not as rare as maybe it used to be, especially with the high school guys at Blair Field. And Blair Field hasn't changed. But it feels like the high school players have so much more experience today than their pres- pre- uh, antecedents did 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're like in 1998 when Carlos Quentin was a high school sophomore and he had a home run at Blair Field, and it was like, oh, Carlos Quentin. I mean, like, it was really a big deal. Or when Justin Upton hit one when he was 14 at area codes, these kind of things. Those are stories <clears throat> from my early days at BA that stand out. But now I'm just reading these, and I mean, like, the home runs, soon they come – with some commonality. I know part of that is because of the velocity. The harder the pitchers throw and the more they're trying just to throw hard, if they leave one flat in the zone, it, it, it makes it easier to hit one out. But correct me, here's my hypothesis. 
I felt like the high school players have much more experience with wood bats than they did 10 years ago. And if you're comparing them to the college national team guys or the Cape guys who are using summer wood bats after a spring of using those POS metal bats <laughs> that just stink. So they're using those BB cores. Clinton just feels like the high school kids have so much more confidence with wood than the college guys do because they've been beaten down by the BB cores all spring. And the high, as a result, the high school player of today just goes up there looking to do damage more than the college player does. I, I just feel like that is just, it just jumps out at me when I go to a, a high school game or I watch a high school game with wood bats compared to, like the Tournament of Stars, compared to the seven, college. Seven home runs by Tournament, seven different players. Tournament of Stars, it just, it just jumped out at me having watching Omaha games that night and then going to TOS and being like, what? And then you go to the college national team, it's like, what are these guys doing? These guys are just trying to guide the ball. When they're in hitters counts, advantage counts, uh, high school players are up there. Jonathan India was the guy who stood out the yep. most to me. He was like, I'm going to go for mines <laughs> right now. And he didn't get cheated, and he wasn't the only one. And is there something to this, you think, this is my theory? I think so. I think the comfort that you mentioned is is a great point because – uh, Josh Naylor, just, just to give a uh, yeah. give an example, Josh Thick Naylor, body Canadian, yeah, with, Thick with, body is with, the emphasis. With, yes, <laughs> absolutely right. He has gotten some com- physical comparisons to Prince Fielder. I think he earns them. Yeah. I, 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 he jumped out when you were watching the PG game. You're like, oh my gosh, that must be Josh Naylor. <laughs> but man, he can swing it. Plus bat speed, at least plus raw power. But the thing that really stood out when I was speaking to an evaluator about him uh, is he he squared off with Luke and Baker in the home run derby. And they were required to use aluminum because you wow. didn't want the high school guys to get up there and try to hit with wood and not necessarily perform on that big stage. And the scout said, "Oh, he was angry if he, if he had." Got, and, and he said so publicly that if he had gotten the chance to swing with wood, he thinks he probably would want it and done significantly better. And I think that is just a perfect anecdote to show it the high school player is more comfortable using using the wood than the aluminum. And the and wood it's not bats, even close. The wood bats of today. Compared to the BB core bats, with the restrictions put on the BB cores, when you're making it out of metal to make them durable, the balance of these bats is just all out of whack. It, they just they just don't feel right. And a wood bat has much better balance throughout. The weight is distributed the way it should be. And the metal bat you can't do it. You have to put more weight basically in the handle. And then toward the barrel as well. So it's like, it's just weird. It just feels weird to swing that bat. And uh, you can tell. I, I feel like you can really tell, Clint, that the high school hitters take more comfortable swings. They're just so much more comfortable with wood bats now than they used to be. And I think they're more comfortable. So I think it's a mentality that the, high, the college player has to work his way out of over the course of the summer and some of those guys, I think, I feel like they almost get the summer of college baseball, and it's a relief to hit with wood. And uh, I wish there was something we could do about it. I don't know that we can, but it really it, it's, it jumped out to me this summer. I'm wondering, uh, all the college national team that you saw, if it jumped out to you as much as well. Uh, but, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like it is, it's something that's there. Maybe I'm putting a little bit too much on it, uh, too much emphasis. But it really feels like, I feel like confidence is such a huge issue for hitters. If you don't have it, you're just not going to hit no, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the magnitude of this, I, I don't I right. don't know how much, but yes, it is it is an effect. It is it is definitely in the right direction. And sorry, I just want to amend a comment that I said earlier, just to 
just to clarify that, with Luke and Baker, you know, comparing him to Tyler Kolick or saying that he's in the same family, that was not in terms of velocity or prospect status. That was just in terms of the body, body and yeah. the physicality. Just wanted to clear that up. Oh, I thought you were and, clear about that myself. So. Okay. And uh, just to kind of um, bring things back around to Under Armour, yeah. we received very exciting news just within the past few days that uh, one of the premier athletes in the Why entire class that? named Kyler Murray is going to be heading up to Chicago for the Under Armour game. And for those of you who are college football fans or, or follow the recruiting world, you're probably very familiar with Kyler Murray. Um, he's he's the number one per ESPN and a lot of different media outlets who do recruiting rankings. He's rated as the number one high school uh, quarterback in the entire class. His father, who actually was drafted in the 11th round by the Brewers and played a season of professional baseball, went on to Texas A&M. Uh, Kevin Murray was an All-American there. Nice. And so there's bloodlines Oh, so he's Kelvin Murray's nephew. Okay. Yes, and and I mean baseball bloodlines as well with with Kelvin Murray, the former two-time first-round pick, right. being his uncle. And scouts have not gotten a chance to see a great deal of him on a national level this this summer. He was supposed to be at the tournament of stars, but that did not come to fruition. Um, and he has electric bat speed, from what I've been told, and is a plus runner. Just the athleticism is is obviously what really stands out with him. And so now we're going to get a chance to see him on a national stage. Evaluators are very, very excited for this opportunity. I got to say, the big game, the big thing for Kyler Murray will probably be that workout day on Friday at Grant, Curtis Granderson Field, which you need to report back to me on how nice that is now, yeah. <laughs> um, with the spectacular Chicago skyline as its backdrop. But there's the, work, the workout day on Friday at Granderson Field at UIC is almost a bigger deal for him because it's almost unfair yep. for him to go into a game and you're going to see nothing but pitchers just airing it out. Yeah. So that workout for him where you take the in and out, and you take your BP and you run. That'll be a big day for him to 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 perform well yes. without much pr- and try to act like there's not a lot of pressure. Even though that's really where all the eyes will be on him. And the agents can all lay off because Calvin Murray works for Boris Corp. <laughs> so I'm just telling you right now, if he has representation in baseball, it's going to be Boris Corp. <laughs> but uh, it's just exciting yeah. that an athlete like that's going to be out there. Yeah, no question. The unfortunate thing is. I believe he has a game Friday, and he is practicing with his team Saturday, oh. so he's coming up just for the game. So thankfully, since it is a night game, you know everything is going to work out. But what you just said about you know all of the workouts, those still ring true. Those will be held at Wrigley. You know, get a chance to see him BP infield, outfield. Those will be very, very important time to lay eyes on him. Because that's the thing about this event is that um, you know it it really is more than just the game and more than what you'll see on TV. One of the guys who was a late invitee was Nick Plummer out of uh, Michigan. And i got to tell you, he's one of the more exciting guys of the summer, it sounds like, Clint. I mean, I don't know if you can call a guy a pop-up guy on the summer showcase circuit, but it sounds like Nick Plummer has been the guy who's made the biggest strides with the bat this summer where he's gone from maybe people knew about him, a Michigan commitment. You know, again, Eric Backich did a great job improving the talent level at Maryland in his short stay there, and I think people have seen the same thing in his short time at Michigan. But Nick Plummer could be that next guy because it's like the, the bat has really he just has shown offensive ability uh throughout the summer it's tremendous very few scouts on oh, so he's a michigan he's not a michigan he's a kentucky he was man. actually I apologize. but you're right that he's actually uh an early commit to michigan okay. so, so you weren't too okay. far off there but yeah he's he's committed to kentucky now he's left-handed bat very few scouts on the national level had much history with him and he steps into east coast pro takes one of the best bps there and has a very, I mean, he is, uh, he could be an underwear model. He is just absolutely <laughs> ripped to shreds. Um, he's, he's 5'10, 199. You can certainly tell just by looking at him that he has a football background. He gave that up just within the last few years, hmm. but very, very physical. And it takes a great BP. And then uh, early on in the event, hits a home run that some scouts have said that they think was one of the 
the better struck and longer hit uh, home runs they've ever seen by an amateur player. And that he has a great week in Syracuse, takes quality at bats, shows a lot of polish at the plate, especially for somebody who is... <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from uh, Toledo, yeah. Ohio, so less than an hour drive from where he is. And we don't see very, very many quality breaking balls or big-time velocity. But he handled it very well. And then he goes over to East Coast Pro with a chance, or sorry, to Area Codes with a chance to build on that performance. And we we had one home run hit last year all, at the entire six-day event of the Area Codes. Two pitches in, Nick Plummer hits a very similar shot, a towering wow. <laughs> home run to right field, and everybody is just giddy because, you know, it, it, it was almost Nick Plummer week. And <laughs> to see him t- hit two balls like that, and again, just some, some I, I got a chance to talk to a few high-level evaluators who said they think, they think he's in the discussion for the best high school bat in the entire country. Wow. And, that's, that, and that thought has, has uh, you know, come to fruition over the last two weeks. That's it's amazing. incredible. That just shows... The quality of his at bats, and he didn't finish the area codes on the on the high note that he started it with, or Outer uh, East Coast Pro. But if you look at the the totality of his at bats, very strong, and uh, he has a he has the ability to potentially stay in center field. We still haven't gotten a great uh, feel for what his run tool is. Its average run time is maybe a tick better out of the box, but it looks like he moves pretty well in center field. The arm probably fits best in center or left field, but you know uh, some scouts may. They questioned the profile, or did question the profile when they once they saw the arm and the speed. But as soon as they saw the bat, they said, "You know yeah. what? Some of those concerns have, have been significantly, you know, alleviated." He he can profile on a corner, so if he has a chance to stay up the middle, he could go pretty darn good. That's uh, that that he just seems like he's the breakout guy, kind of in the summer, yeah. really, in a lot of ways. And then in, in the yeah, go ahead. The other one, and, and this just again speaks to the. I want you to pronounce his name. Demi Ormoloy. Okay, that's why I wanted you to say it. And I'll outfield, an outfielder from Canada, and we're going to have two Canadians in the Under Armour game. Oh, Canada! <laughs> but I mean, like this guy, really, I mean, just with the thumbnail sketch of him, it's like, okay, we just had a Canadian outfielder in Gareth Morgan get two million dollars this year. He seems as physical as Gareth Morgan, but maybe more athletic. Certainly faster. Yes, absolutely. So. And uh, he has not been playing baseball for that long. He moved from Nigeria when he was 10 months old. And so the trajectory is is just pointing straight up on Demi. because I mean, he's the Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> of baseball. I just thought that out there because he's the Greek freak. I love Giannis I'm just impressed that you were able to uh, pronounce it correctly. Well, when he's Gre- he's, since he's Greek, I'm going to have to. He's adopted <laughs> Greece as his, as his home nation. So i got to uh, come correct when it comes to Giannis Antetokounmpo. But Amorbier, did I get it right? Yes, sir. I mean... The other thing that stood out, his name stood out, and the TrackMan data. He had a, a, maybe a inconsistent, but I mean, he when he made contact with the, uh, area codes, it was hard contact. Yeah, and that was and that that was the one question heading into this summer because, uh, you know, with the body and the physicality that he had, being six three, two twenty five, he looked he had a major league sort of body as right. a sophomore. When right. we saw him when he was fifteen years old with the with the junior national team in Canada, and, and you know. Evaluators really just wanted to know how is the bat going to progress because we know that he's a six-five runner in the sixty. He's got a plus arm, and we know that he's got the power too. I mean, he's got plus plus pull power and BP. How's he going to play in game action? You saw it start to pick up quite a bit at East Coast Pro, taking good quality at bats, and then he really came into his own at the Area Code Games. As John mentioned, he was you know one of the TrackMan superstars there. Uh, he had two of the ten hardest hit balls of the entire event, and oh, that doesn't even include the home run that he had. 
to left center field and the double that he had or sorry the triple that he had off the left center field wall and he's another one just like Plumber. the quality of at bats really stand out yeah, that's and a, so the body the physicality and the upward trajectory on the bat he's a really really exciting player what a contrast between him and Josh Naylor physically <laughs> yes. right and left these two Canadian players who really that's the only commonality they have <laughs> as they're both Canadian otherwise they could not be more different but again kudos to Greg Hamilton and the Baseball Canada staff cuz Again, when you're drafting one of these guys, if there's a Canadian player who's in that mix, the track record that you get on them as a to evaluate those players is pretty long because they play with the Canadian Junior National Team. They play with that 18U team. They're going to go to the Dominican. They're going to play. They're going to go play either in, Can- in Arizona or in Florida with these JCs. You're going to get to see them against good competition. Yes, they don't have a true high school baseball season, but if they're in that 18U program for Team Canada, you're going to see them against good competition. You're going to see them in the spring against those junior college competition or in the Dominican. I mean, it's a very unique program, and I just think it's maximized the exposure and the opportunity for those players to improve for all those Canadian players. And it's and you just start you just see consistent success stories year after year. It's just it's really cool. It's tremendous, and, and I was fortunate because I got a chance to speak with Demi. And he is a very well-spoken young man, and everything uh, you know that he could, you know, that he could do to praise uh, Greg Hamilton and the, the college, or sorry, and the and the junior national team, yeah. he went out of his way to do. So certainly, uh, he's somebody that you're betting on the person as well as on the player with yeah. that. Which is also, I think, uh, one of the things that happened with Gareth Morgan. Just talking to Tom McNamara, they really love the makeup there, um, and I know he's a different kind of guy. But I just remember the Brewers were all in on Brett Lowry at the time. Just his his intensity. And his ferocity, and you see that as a player. I mean, there are questions about maturity level that have dogged Brett Lowry, but that intensity and passion to play, that's never been a question. So a lot to be excited about, a lot to be interested in. I think it's going to be a good show, Clint, on uh, Saturday's game, which airs on Sunday. We went longer than expected, but uh, we have passion for the high school game too. So we'll have more, I'm sure, again, uh, as you mentioned, when we do our summer college roundup, uh, Aaron with the Cape. You're doing the Northwoods and a couple other leagues, right? Northwoods yeah, League, Team Alaska USA, League. Alaska League, and uh, West Coast League. I might just have to come in here and moderate and let you guys do all the talking, which I'm sure our listeners would appreciate. Um, forgive my cold today. I think you're also going to get a JJ and the Bear podcast later this week. So we don't have a fun uh, John and Clint uh, GIF, but uh, I sure do love their GIF. It, it, it's I, tremendous. I, I, it's the only thing about Josh Norris that I'm jealous of. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> So for Clint, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.